0: I'm Grant. And I'm Elena. And welcome to History Honeys.
1: The podcast where a married couple teaches each other about cool stuff in the past.
0: Please join us in historical ceremony.
1: You've done that one before.
0: I thought I'd do a Greatest Hits.
1: You just don't <laughs> got any new material, do you? Shh! I think they can tell.
0: Anyway, I'm going to be doing this one as well. We're even now. How about that? Woo. And also, you got to relax.
1: Yeah. It's in the summer. I need a break.
0: In any case, you know, uh, I thought our last episode, uh, episode six, went really well. But I understand that talking about politics can be stressful for people. You know, it's it's not something you talk about in polite company, right?
1: Ideally, no.
0: <laughs> so I thought I'd uh, get something a, a bit lighter, you know, more, more frivolous. Okay. So let's talk about religion.
1: Awesome. <laughs>
0: Today we're going to be talking about the Anabaptists, the the Anabaptist movement, and like what they're all about and what they're up to. Cool. Any any questions?
1: No, I'm excited.
0: Okay, so you know what an Anabaptist is then? I do. What's an Anabaptist, dear?
1: It's like Amish and Mennonites and stuff.
0: Basically, yeah, Amish and Mennonites. They all fall
1: into Anabaptists.
0: Yeah, it's a category including those divisions. It's a group of Protestant communities originating in the Radical Reformation. Don't get much more radical than the Mennonites. So uh, along with them and the Amish, there's also the Hutterites, the Swiss Brethren, and a lot of uh, uh, branches and sects that just don't exist to present day. So they're not as well known, obviously. Yeah. Uh, they're named for their belief in adult baptism, like the, the etymology comes from baptized again. That's what okay. Anabaptist basically means. But they also believe in pacifism, religious separation, and the priesthood of all believers. So let's go straight to the beginning with the radical reformations. Radical. Are you disapproving?
1: No, it just... Makes me think of the radical young men from Gravity <laughs> Falls. And I don't think that's what they mean.
0: No, no, th- these men are not tubular. Looking at them will not make your eyes hurt. No glitter? Very little glitter. <sighs> they live a simple life. But in any case, the... No ra- day-glow? Have you ever seen a day-glow Amish person?
1: I, I wish. Like, that would be awesome. Traditional Amish outfit in day material. Why not go in the dark it. while
0: you're at it? Thank heaven they aren't listening to this podcast. Uh, so the radical reformation. What's your familiarity with the reformation?
1: Don't got much.
0: That's pretty common. Like <laughs> your average person. It's, it's cool. You are in good company. I've,
1: I've, I've heard of yeah, it. Like, Do I know what it is? No.
0: <laughs> like Martin Luther nailed some stuff to a door and Henry VIII wanted to get divorced. And then some people stabbed each other for a while, and now people get to choose what church they go to, right? That's basically it. Yeah. That's super not it. Uh- <laughs>
1: okay, I, I don't know. Trick question, jerk.
0: <laughs> I'm just saying <laughs> that a lot of people are, are under-informed because it doesn't touch their day-to-day life. Now, the thing to remember through all this is that the church was a structure of power, one power uniting all of Europe. Before it was called Europe, it was called Christendom. Like, the church was a big, big deal. And local leaders exercised huge power over the church in their lands at the same time. Uh, It's more useful to think of the Reformation as a political revolution than just a matter of faith. Okay. So, uh, the Reformation did begin in 1517 with Martin Luther's 95 Theses... Attacking the, the corruption of priests and the notion of indulgences and, I suppose, 93 other things. Mm-hmm. But like any ref, uh, revolution, it opened a new realm of possibility. Uh, a whole new uh, uh, schemes of thought were now open. Like Pandora's box, the, the lid was off. And so uh, it inspired people to push even beyond that. Uh, and that's where we get radicals from. Uh, Holdrick Zwingli is a guy who has one of my favorite names
1: Wow how is that Whoa that's how that's spelled That is interesting Holdrick Zwingli would- Starbucks will never get that right Ever <laughs> uh, Like what, what name would that dude leave at a restaurant Like what, what name is this under Like no one will ever get that
0: Parish priest probably This is how I'd have to go <laughs> It's a good thing there's no Starbucks in Switzerland Because they are screwed Uh, so, Hildrik Zwingli. You
1: mean then, because I'm pretty sure there probably is now.
0: Yeah, it's a good thing there were no 1500s (laughs) Starbuckses.
1: Because I think Sweden has that now. Also Switzerland. 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 Yeah. Switzerland has that now. Probably Sweden, too. Uh,
0: If Epcot has one, the whole world does, technically. Uh, but he, he was a leader in the Swiss Reformation that had a number of younger students and followers helping him reform. Uh, he kicked off the Reformation in Zurich with the affair of the sausages.
1: Oh, my.
0: <laughs> These are revolutionary sausages, dear. So, so during Lent, he cooked and sliced and served a meal of sausages openly, <gasps> defying the Lenten fast.
1: I know, that's why I went... <gasps>
0: It's an act of civil disobedience. As goofy as it is now, it, is it really any different from not taking the bus to work with you and uh, hundreds of your friends in Alabama? So uh, his whole deal was arguing that only rules from scripture are binding. Sola Scriptura was the name of this uh, uh, idea. Uh, breaking church rules isn't a sin. You can eat anything you want on any day in Lent because Jesus never said otherwise. Uh the Apostle Paul never said a word about sausages. It's cool. That's a pretty radical thought in 1522.
1: Are you sure this guy just didn't like love sausages, like some obsession.
0: He was Swiss, there's a good chance. All the German speaking peoples love sausages.
1: I mean, sausages are good. They're great. Typically.
0: Mm-hmm. So by 1523, Zwingli was a major religious leader in Zurich, leading the charge of this Reformation, setting up these things called disputations, where people would uh, argue for and against things re- relating to church law and doctrine publicly, and a decision would be made. The idea that you could publicly debate matters of God is itself a, a pretty radical thought, very, you know, Reformation-heavy. Uh, so one of these disputations was held to discuss removing icons and abolishing the mass. It's a lot farther along the line than just eating sausages in the spring. Yeah. City leaders weren't even prepared to consider these issues. They, they refused to discuss uh, this sort of thing in front of lay laypeople. They, they stonewalled the whole disputation. Zwingli decided to, to take this as a sign, like, okay, we're pushing too far too fast. I'm going to work with this council, and we're going to get things done at their own pace. His followers saw this as a huge betrayal of their beliefs. He he sold out. He went over to the man. We can't trust Zwingli. Don't trust any priests over the age of 30. We're going to do this ourselves.
1: Don't sell out to the man.
0: Do not sell out, Zwingli. I ate your sausages. I believed in you.
1: I hope someone actually said that to him.
0: <laughs> we can hope. Uh, this was a group about 15 men, led by uh, Conrad Grebel, Felix Manns, George Blaurock, and they continued to meet and organize together. They all have incredible German names, the early Anabaptists. Uh, yeah, spoiler, these are the early Anabaptists. Uh, Melchior is a first name that pops up a few times. What? <laughs> yeah, Balthazar, like seriously. Ms- is that a vampire? Perhaps. <laughs> so now we reach the real beginnings of anabaptism. The idea that baptism should be something adults enter into rather than infants starts getting circulated by this group of 15 and growing. And so in 1524, Zurich's council insisted that all babies were obligated to be baptized uh, within the first eight days of their life members of this group refused with their own children and and faced jail time for it, for their beliefs. Uh, In 1525, the early Anabaptists held their own disputation against Zwingli on the topic of baptism. They argued that the only baptism is a believer's baptism performed on adults capable of choosing to join the church. And Zwingli's like, no, baptize them babies. Uh, and backed up his argument with his own scriptural uh, uh positions and was declared the winner. No surprise there. So the very next week, uh Conrad Grebel baptized George Blaurock in his home, who then baptized the rest of their group, which is considered the beginning of the Anabaptist movement. These dudes baptizing one another in the spirit and in flagrant violation of the law. One note I, I should mention, the name Anabaptist was applied to them by their critics as sort of a mockery. Like, these people think you can get baptized twice? Like, one will do you, you know? Sort of a, a, a joke name, which stuck, and now they use it to this day. The Bing Bang was named the same way, so there is a legacy there. Uh Blaurock and Mans were arrested for not baptizing their children. Uh, members of the Anabaptist group began spreading their message around the region and the group began to grow. In March 1526, Zurich made rebaptism punishable by death. Felix Mans was drowned in 1527, becoming the first Anabaptist martyr, the first of many. As we'll see that this sort of spread like wildfire. And uh, the authorities on all sides of the Reformation wanted to crack down on it. So uh, th- there was even one emperor who said the only cure for an Anabaptist is the third baptism, drowning.
1: Dang!
0: <laughs> and they seem like such peaceful people with their barns and their furniture. Yeah! And it's it's a long way from there to here. A lot can happen in nearly 500 years. The The Radical Reformation really went hand-in-hand hand with the German Workers' Revolt. This was an uprising across the the German-speaking lands. From 1524 to 1525, peasants across Central Europe rose up against the aristocracy. Protestant clergy tended to support the peasants, while the Catholic Church supported the Swabian League, or Swabian League. This was before the unification of Germany. It's, it's a lot of city-states, a lot of small principalities, and the Swabian League was just them teaming up, like their they're NATO, basically. Okay. Uh, so between a hundred and three hundred thousand peasants were killed in the course of, uh, fighting the battles and just repressing the peasants from ever daring to take up arms again. Uh, if you want to get a handle on what that number looks like, uh, combine the Union and Confederate on battlefield casualties in the U.S. Civil War. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a huge number. Obviously, there, there's, uh, this huge outpouring of peasants who want to get, have a better life, a different life, come out from under the thumb of, uh, the existing structures of power. That is fertile ground to spread all kinds of radical ideologies, including why get baptized when you're a baby and don't know what the heck you're doing? So
1: I can get behind that. That makes sense. So let
0: let's take a look at their actual beliefs and what was so radical about them, shall we? Okay. All right.
1: Ready for the radical.
0: That's their most famous tenet that infant baptism shouldn't be the way to go. Believer's baptism. Jesus was baptized at 30. If it's good enough for him, it should be good enough for the rest of us. John the Baptist wasn't dunking no babies. But it's radical because infant baptism meant every person joined the church from birth. Believer's baptism gives you a choice to say, no, no church for me. Or which church you join. A prince didn't tax you from your first week of life. You know, you weren't working your Lord's land before you were old enough to walk. But the church had you from day one. Priesthood of the people. The idea that we don't need this structure. We don't need someone talking to God for us. We can just talk to God. It happens all the time in the Gospels. It happens all the time in Acts. This is where Christianity came from. This is what it ought to be. Of course, this rejected the structure, hierarchy, and authority of church leadership.
1: I'm sure, they were not happy about that.
0: This is maybe one of the biggest things that, uh, made them so dangerous. Uh, religious separatism, a complete separation from other structures of power. The, the belief that Christian communities should live in isolation among one another. Uh, Christians should not hold official positions, uh, should not hold political offices. And church officials should not double dip, which was pretty common. You know, bishops having seats in, in king's councils. and like, no, no, just straight line they invented the separation of church and state, essentially.
1: Yeah, sounds that way.
0: Now, all Reformation beliefs, uh, radical or otherwise, even, you know, your moderates, even Luther himself, challenged the uh, Roman Catholic Church's claim as the sole path to God, as the uh, one and only game in town. They are breaking up the monopoly, which is pretty dangerous stuff when you're the monopoly. Which is remarkable because there hadn't really been a schism in, uh, Western Christianity for about a thousand years. Like, they, they got that pretty well not locked down in the Council of Nicaea, and now just the, the pot is boiling over and there's a whole lot of new ideas in town. Uh, so th- this part I think you'll enjoy. The Munster okay. Rebellion.
1: Like the cheese?
0: Like the town the cheese comes from. Oh. So 1532, 1535 is the, the bit of time we're zooming in on here. Grebel, Blaurock, and Manns, that group has, is now calling themselves the Swiss Brethren. They've made a, uh, statement of their, their doctrine, and, uh, it's spreading all over the place where they can. Uh, there, there are a few other areas where Anabaptism is said to have started, but this is an hour long show. We are not experts. So, <laughs> if you're interested, go look up the, the, polygenesis theories and, uh, have fun. We're, we're going to stick with the, the monogenesis. <laughs> but in any case, that brings us to 1532. Uh, the Peasants' Rebellion has been soundly crushed. The The surviving radicals t- tried to turn the city of Munster into an independent theocracy, uh, a new Jerusalem, uh, a shining city of, of the true church, not tainted by the, these wicked ways of Rome. Uh, leaders distributed pamphlets criticizing the Catholic Church then going uh, even farther to call for absolute equality including the redistribution of wealth uh, Boy, yeah they they sent out emissaries to the poor farmers nearby like okay we're going to take over the city it's going to be off the chain and uh, you won't have to break your back for anybody else anymore it's going to be great uh, so they handily won control in the magisterial elections. Yeah. Now, hearing that there's a radical group uh, of uh, reformers taking over the, the city in Germany, and a Baptist from nearby regions are like, they are preaching some stuff that's a whole lot like what we're preaching. Let's go where the party is. So they uh, move in, take part, and soon outnumbered the Lutherans. So they used that power to make re-baptism compulsory. Munster is now like Anabaptist USA, except not USA, it's Germany. So this is causing some problems. Like we, we just crushed sure. this rebellion a few years ago, and now they've got a whole city. It's t- time to go to work. So the former bishop raises an army you know what i said a little while ago about church officials having like civil power this bishop has an army
1: of course he does
0: so he uses this army to besiege the city one of the original leaders of the uprising rides out to break the siege with 30 men and horses he's a very optimistic young man yeah i'll say which did not work out for him he was beheaded his uh, head was paraded around the walls on a spike, and his genitals were nailed to the city gate.
1: Oh, goodness.
0: Control of the, this New Jerusalem then went to the second in command. Didn't work out much better for him. Uh By 1535, the besiegers took the city. A lot of its defenders had either deserted or were too starved to resist. Like, the, the first thing you do in a siege is you cut off the food supply. Uh, these surviving leaders were tortured and executed in the marketplace. Their corpses were hung in cages from the church steeple, and those cages still hang there today.
1: Are the bones still inside?
0: Oh, they, they shook out loose long ago.
1: Okay. Well, I don't know what type of, how, how, how wide that cage is.
0: So if you're planning a trip to, uh, crisscross Germany, why not check out Munster? I would. Look up at a, one of those church steeples is going to have some interesting decoration. So is this is
1: why you, like you'll like this part.:
0: That's exactly why <laughs> I said you'll like this part.:
1: <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't mind tasting some like, I don't know, Munster cheese from Munster. I assume mm-hmm. they still make it there. It, it winds
0: up in Mariano somehow. Uh, it's got to come from somewhere. So the question is, where does that leave today's Anabaptist? How does this relate to them?
1: glad they aren't hanging from church steeples (laughs) yeah
0: every day i wake up i'm glad i'm not hanging dead from a church steeple and do not have my genitals nailed to a city gate that is true if
1: those aren't happening that's a good day right
0: today's anabaptists are descended from other sects that didn't join in the pacifist branches so, uh, uh, between Munster and other similar events, the only surviving branches are the pacifists that just ran and kept to themselves in the face of persecution. Uh, the radicals just got stamped out by the powers that be. It was also the last time that Anabaptists would ever be a political force to be reckoned with. I mean, they, they held a city for a year. That's, that's a big deal. Yeah. Nowadays, who's courting the Amish vote? So now that uh, the, the big heyday is done, the big explosion, it's time for the spread. Uh, various Anabaptist groups spread all over Central Europe to win new followers and new communities. Uh, and here's where we get into some more familiar names. Jacob Hutter led several congregations around what is today the border between uh, Italy and Austria his descendants are now called the Hutterites, or Hutterites in their uh, accent.
1: They had a TV show.
0: They sure did. Uh, his group was notable for emphasizing communal ownership of property. Uh, after a while, they started getting persecuted by the Habsburgs, so they fled to Moravia in what's now the Czech Republic. Hutter was captured and tortured to give up the names of other leading Anabaptists, but Hutter ain't no snitch. Uh, he was burned at the stake in 1536.
1: Yeah, I think there's a trend here. <laughs> Th-
0: there's a weird, interesting note. Anabaptists in Catholic-controlled country were burned. Anabaptists in Lutheran country were drowned. Like, not 100%, uh-huh. but pretty firm rule of thumb there. Why,
1: why was that the trend? Why Why know, did they man. go to burning over drowning?
0: Man, I, I wish I knew.
1: I'm very curious about this. I want to know. It's very morbid. Why did you not get this fact? <laughs> you know I would want to know.
0: If I'm going to make a guess based on nothing, which is exactly what I'm going to do right now. The Catholic uh, execution was based on the old traditional ways to deal with heresy. While the Lutherans wanted something more uh, ironically appropriate. You want to get the dunked baptism. in water, we're going to dunk you in water a good long time. I'm making that up 100%, though. I would like to know the, if there is a real fact in there.
1: I mean, logically, that kind of makes
0: sense. Kind of, yeah. Uh, Menno Simons, on the opposite side of uh, Central Europe, up in the Netherlands, uh, joined the Anabaptists in that same year, 1536, and became a very successful organizer and evangelist, spreading the message, growing the community... And being sure to be like, ah, da, 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 we're very pacifist. Trust me. <laughs> uh, so most Anabaptists to this day, even the Swiss brethren that preceded him, carry the name Mennonite because of his influence. Pretty much all these sects are named after a founding person. So. That helps. Yeah. It, it, I guess it keeps the uh, family tree straight. Yeah. So now you have these, uh, weirdos. All over uh, Europe, not making much trouble, but being kind of odd. It's kind of mean to call them weirdos. I'm speaking now from the from
1: like the
0: from the, the point of view of the powers that be. Okay, because the question I'm, I'm about to pose is what What do you do with them? How do rulers deal with these people in their lands? Uh, so on the one side, you've got good workers that keep to themselves. Decades of persecution have taught them not to make trouble. They keep to themselves. But on the downside, they won't fight in your wars. Uh, many of them won't even pay taxes to support your wars. They won't support your state church, so that's a whole leg of your power stool taken out from under you. What, what are you supposed to do? How do you solve a problem like the Mennonites?
1: <laughs> How do you catch a out and pin it down? Uh,
0: one of the most common <laughs> solutions... Is to suppress their rights. For example, back in the Netherlands, Menno country, uh, the the Mennonites were forced to stay by a law, reclaiming less than ideal farmland. But they were forced to build their churches facing uh, into alleys or back streets. They could not announce their services with a bell. They had to pay high taxes to maintain their military service exemption. And the taxes were made so high, they couldn't afford to move.
1: So that was just like a continuous cycle then.
0: Basically, yeah. Uh, often, a ruler would strike a deal with the Anabaptist community uh, only for it to be discarded in a generation or two when, you know, the the next leader comes around and is like, no! uh, I really like people supporting our state church. I really don't like people spreading all this anti-war nonsense. So this cycle of persecution gave rise to the strong sense of community and the traditions of simple living that anabaptist groups are known for like famously uh, not using electricity not having major appliances or big farm implements yeah one of the sources for that sort of thing is just that these are things you can't pick up and move with on a moment's notice yeah uh, it's why traditionally these churches performed all, the- all their music, uh, a cappella rather than having an organ or a piano. Cause they, who's gonna hoof it next time they get chased out of Dodge?
1: Yeah. Well, it also seems like they didn't exactly have extra income to invest in those types of things anyways.
0: Right. Because right. Cause they
1: were being taxed. Not Not that they had electricity and fridges <laughs> back then, but.
0: But right, it's other the, things. It's the foundation of these yeah. traditions that then stayed stayed in one place while the world developed and in a different fork. Before we get to the next bit, uh, why don't we take a break? Okay. So, how are you feeling about this so far? You you seem to really be rooting for the underdog here. You're, well, you're... I
1: can support their, like, basic ideologies. Yeah. It makes sense to me.
0: It's also your deep-seated hatred for the Catholic Church.
1: It's more so, like, controlling religions in general.
0: Oh, okay. Which, I
1: mean, I guess is all religions to a certain extent. But I can support their their, like, adults should decide this for themselves. All right. I can get behind that.
0: Sure. So let's, uh, where were we? Oh yes, the spread across the globe. Oh yes. Uh huh. Uh, the search for a place to live as they chose took Anabaptist groups first across Europe and then, uh, new lands opened up by European colonization. So the Dutch Anabaptists moved to West Prussia starting in 1530 and then met and mingled with German Anabaptists there, sort of. Uh, uh synthesized a little bit uh, in 1768 catherine the great conquered a huge amount of land and invited mennonites from prussia to farm the ukrainian steppes uh, this group came to be called the russian mennonites german mennonites were contacted by william penn to settle his new colony pennsylvania uh, mm. yeah the first mennonite settlement in america was germantown Pennsylvania, not too far from Philadelphia. Uh in the early eighteen hundreds, a hundred thousand Germans settled in Pennsylvania, including twenty five hundred Mennonites and five hundred Amish. These are the original Pennsylvania Dutch. Wow. Uh Dutch okay. coming from Deutsch, the German for German. Yeah. Uh another Which way a lot
1: of people confuse. They don't cu- realize that.
0: It's especially confusing when you figure the first Mennonites like Um, Menno Simon's Mennonites were Dutch, like they they were in the Netherlands. So we're just confusing you more. Waka waka. Uh, Another wave followed from 1812 to 1860, Swiss German-speaking Mennonites spreading to Ohio, Illinois, Missouri, Indiana. And then from those landing places, they spread out uh, into other current Midwest states. It's where Michigan's Amish come from. American Mennonites and Amish also spread out into Canada.
1: Yeah, there's huge populations up there.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, The Hutterites fled Moravia following the Austrian takeover. They left for Transylvania and then to Ukraine as well, right next door to the Russian Mennonites. Hutterites began moving to North America after 1873 because the Russians began, uh, putting in new military service rules and they are not having anything to do with that. Uh, Hutterites, in, in addition to their communal ownership, also have a really hard line on that religious separation. Like a Hutterite cannot, uh, perform any, uh, job that comes with a uniform if they're being strict like mm-hmm. there are no hutterite cops there are no hutterite uh
1: McDonald's workers
0: I don't you know I'd be curious how it works if it's just a work uniform compared to a state job
1: Yeah that's a good question there
0: Mhm Yeah they they draw an even wider boundary than just not serving in the armed forces Okay uh, so in the course of about five years, over 1,200 Hutterites moved to the Dakota Territory and founded their colonies. Uh, some of those colonies moved north into Canada, and then some of them uh, migrated back south into the Dakotas and Montana. In the late 1800s, 16,000 of Russia's 45,000 Mennonites left for North America. Uh, in the 1920s, the Canadian branch began moving to South America, and uh, they were followed by another wave from Russia, creating Mennonite communities in Mexico, Paraguay, Brazil, Uruguay, Belize, Bolivia, and Argentina. Uh, most Russian Mennonites today live in Latin America. Uh, the Barton Creek colonies in Belize are home to the most conservative Mennonite communities in the world. You- you're nodding at me. Yeah. This is an audio format.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. I've I've read articles about the Mennonite communities in Bolivia and Belize.
0: What what would you like to share about the Mennonite communities in Bolivia and Belize?
1: I mean, one one of the things was just talking about most conservative community, and another thing was talking about like some very bad things happening within oh, the community. <laughs> the
0: serial rape in the Bolivia. Colony. Yes, that. Yeah, th- this was a news article that that made it's like some last headlines. Year? Yeah, a year or a few years ago. Yeah, there's this a legend of demon attacks, but it turned out to be a, a group of men putting knockout gas in the windows of women's homes and and raping them for a a long long time. Yes. A- as peaceful and simple and quaint, uh, there are bad people everywhere you care to look.
1: Yep. No. No one is exempt, unfortunately, from that.
0: The, the Russian Mennonites had been very successful in, back in Russia. Uh, by World War I, they had control of business interests, uh, manufacturing and agricultural businesses in the cities. They paid wage workers. They were doing quite well for themselves. Uh, but then the Russian Revolution broke out and as a wealthy foreign interests, uh, and a- as staunch believers in God, they were persecuted very heavily by uh, the Bolsheviks and other elements in the Russian Revolution. So you're not going to find many in Russia these days. You're, you're much better off looking in Latin America if you're trying to find a Russian Mennonite.
1: Darling, yeah? where did the Amish come from? We're where the, are they?
0: Where are the Amish. Where are uh, the Amish at? Okay, we, we got to rewind a little bit in history for this new schism. Uh, do you want to guess how the Amish got their name?
1: Some person named Amish.
0: So close. Jacob Amen. <laughs> uh, so close. So Amen led to the Amish. Uh, he, he was a convert to the Mennonite faith in Switzerland. And uh, there's that old saying that converts make the greatest zealots. Uh, he was a firm believer in the doctrine of separation and an uncompromising disciplinarian. He, he, uh, he became a minister very shortly after his uh, conversion, after his rebaptism, and, uh, became a leader in the, in the hills. Like, th- this community was large enough that there were, like, hill people that were more isolated, and there were valley, uh, Swiss brethren who had more contact with, like, Your mainline Swiss. Okay. Uh, So Amen was up in the hills. Uh, The Swiss brethren had just had a big influx of converts, himself included, and were debating how to maintain this new, larger community. And so a schism began on the issue of how to deal with people who didn't keep the faith. Uh, Excommunication was very common. It's just if someone's not upholding the standards of the community, they're not in the community. So the question is, if someone is excommunicated, how should they be treated? Uh, If someone supports the community but is still part of the state church, can they be saved? Uh, These are referred to as the good-hearted people. So Amon and his supporters were like, okay, if someone's excommunicated, we just don't spend time with them. We don't share meals with them. We don't spend time in their homes. There's us and there's them. That's the way it is. Whereas the uh, other Mennonites down in the valley were like, look, it just means we don't share communion with them. We, they don't get the Lord's Supper, but they get, like, supper on Tuesdays if they want to come over. Uh, <laughs> they were also like, you know, if someone finds their own path to Christ, even if they're uh, being deluded by the, the ways of the state church – that's their deal, as long as they're good hearted, they're they're good people. Um, Amen and the uh Oberlanders are like, uh ah, no no no. We're here because this is the right way, this is the way. So that's it's all or nothing. Right. A meeting of community leaders was held on these questions and other ones, uh but this is sort of the big sticking point that that has echoed throughout history. So uh, Amen takes this hard line, and on the other side, a minister named Hans Riest, speaking for the moderate position. Uh, Riest backed out of a meeting with Amon and Amund declared him excommunicated on six counts. Just right in front of everybody at the, this big council meeting. <laughs> Uh, when other ministers asked to consult with their congregations before making a final decision, um, Amon, uh, declared them excommunicated as well.
1: He was just on a roll there, wasn't he?
0: I mean, once you pop, you can't stop.
1: You're excommunicated. You're excommunicated. Everyone's excommunicated.
0: That's my favorite episode of Oprah.
1: Yeah. You and she <laughs> excommunicated everyone. hmm And then gave one person a car.
0: Yeah, Dr. Phil. Always <laughs> her favorite. <laughs> Uh the the re-ist side of the schism then uh were like, okay fine, you're excommunicated, and so are your backers, Amen. How do you look gonna like that? So the this argument became a true schism, and Amen's followers took the name Amish. Uh originally like Amish Mennonite, but then they just dropped it to Amish. So basically they're a Mennonite sect that practices shunning. That that's what this uh separation with the excommunicated became the the practice of shunning okay uh they're anti-individualist they're incredibly community focused uh like i say they came out of these hardline isolated hill people so that's why uh they seem to uh outside observers so much more extreme than your average mennonite this is another place the rejection of technology comes from. Uh, things that would make one self-reliant or increase one's status are rejected. So we're not going to have a big screen TV because we are a community of equals. We're not going to have a diesel-powered tractor so we can farm more land, so we can get more money to pay for a new tractor to farm more land. We're just opting out of that cycle. We are simple people that support our own. It, it's all community focused. Their labor saving technology is the community. And that's how they raise a barn in a day and have a giant potluck to boot. Yeah. If, you know, they had construction equipment, they wouldn't have that community event. It, it would be a strike against their way of life. So again, it's not that technology is a sin. It's just a distraction from their community focus. So the Amish themselves, along with uh, the Mennonites and even the Hutterites, have split a number of times, but the Old Order Amish are the most distinctive group and the largest today. Uh, Ones that split off to become more moderate generally get absorbed into one or another of the Mennonite orders that happens to be nearby geographically and ideologically. They just get sopped up. Yeah. So... The hardliners survived just by dint of being hardliners. Uh, So let's move to the 20th century, a bit more contemporary Anabaptism. Okay. World War I tested government's tolerance of pacifism.
1: I'm sure it did.
0: (laughs) Uh, Four Hutterite men were drafted uh, in the U.S. but refused to serve. They were imprisoned and abused. Two of them died in Leavenworth Military Prison. Uh, Meanwhile, our neighbors to the north – Many Canadian Mennonites were also imprisoned for refusing to fight until the government affirmed their right of exemption. It, it was on the books, it was in the law, but it took a good long time for, uh, judges and, and officials to like remember that it was the law. Like,
1: oh, yes. Oh, this yeah. is This is something we're supposed to follow here.
0: Mm-hmm. Right on its heels comes, uh, World War II. In Canada, conscientious objectors were given the choice to either join the military in a non-combat role, like a medical or dental corps, or working in an alternative service camp. Uh, 95% of Mennonites joined those camps and worked on road building, forestry, and firefighting stuff. Uh, In the U.S., we had a similar arrangement uh, called the Civilian Public Service. Over 4,600 American Amish, Mennonite, and Brethren worked in things like soil conservation, forestry, firefighting, agriculture, social services, and mental health. They worked for no money. Uh, Their pay and uh, the cost of maintaining the calves were their own responsibility, so they were supported by their families and their congregations. Uh, CPS men were held for the duration of the war, which is much longer than a draftee's mandatory military service.
1: Was that legal?
0: If the government does it, it has to be legal, dear.
1: I don't know. That just seems like they went around something there. <laughs> there's probably some rule that they forgot about.
0: Perhaps. So let's take a look at Anabaptist today. The, the stuff people are probably most curious about and most familiar with by dint of it being today. Uh, there's no clear or rigid hierarchy. There, there's no international uh, uh, bureaucracy of Anabaptism.
1: No, no, no president of the
0: Amish. That would be really anti-community. <laughs> Let's look at the Mennonites. You've got your Old Order Mennonites, the Old Mennonite Church, which is very distinct, Mennonite Church USA, the Reformed Mennonites, the Mennonite Brethren, the Stauffer Mennonites, the Progressive Mennonites, on and on and on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some Mennonites are very similar to the common image of Amish communities. Yeah. Just without Jacob Ammon in their history. And some actively campaign for LGBT rights. There's a whole spectrum of Mennonites out there that, that build their outlook on these shared doctrines. Uh, there's around 20 distinct communities of Amish, each with their own community guidelines for use of technology and behavior. Only 20? I mean, it depends on where you want to draw the line for how big something is before they become considerable enough to count, and how distinct they have to be bef- uh, before you draw a line between two communities. So,
1: okay, that just seems very, very s- small. Is that like twenty within like the U.S. supposed to be like what?
0: I believe so. Yes,
1: it just seems so I small. I mean, I'm,
0: I'm not saying there's twenty Amish towns. No. I'm saying there's yeah. like. T- 20 ish ways to be Amish in the US.
1: I think there's probably a lot more. Probably. Just because of all the splinter groups and mm-hmm. communities and everything.
0: If you want to look them up just on Wikipedia, they have a really nifty chart of uh, a dozen or more uh, Amish groups and like which uh, modern conveniences they do or don't allow. Nearly zero Amish have powered tractors, nearly 100% have powered washing machines, and all sorts of things in between.
1: It's because, like, the women have to use the washing machines, and they're like, oh, no, 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 I'm not doing this by hand. <laughs> Buy me a machine. I got too much to do.
0: So They don't got
1: time for that. <laughs>
0: Uh, meanwhile, on the Hutterite branch, there there was uh, a show called American Colony, Meet the Hutterites, yep. in 2012. It's a, we watched that. A few a, episodes. A few episodes.
1: We didn't watch all of it. We watched a few. It's it was mostly for their, their...
0: The rebellious teenage girl.
1: I, I found their uh, accent so interesting. Mm-hmm. It was so unique uh, that I just wanted to listen to them.
0: If this were an anthropology podcast rather than a history one... There's a lot to say about their sort of ethnic heritage and their, their isolation, letting these really old, uh, German accents, Swiss German, uh, uh and Northern German or wherever they, they root from surviving to the present day. Yeah. It's, I mean, th- these are accents older than Shakespeare's English, which we have lost entirely. Yeah. But th- this reality TV series comes from the National Geographic channel, and it followed a Hutterite colony in Montana. Now, following its airing, the colony objected to their depiction and claimed uh, parts of it were scripted, that they were unaware of how they would ultimately be portrayed, that it was inaccurate, and rather than an average slice of life in their, their home, uh, it was edited and... Uh, uh, staged to be more like a soap opera about these weirdos in the woods. So the the same complaints that anyone who's been on a reality show has yeah. ever had. Yeah. Doesn't mean it's not true, though. It's just, what what did you expect? I guess they don't watch a lot of reality TV. So there's the, the uh, Anabaptists, a, a bit of a survey from their inception to present day. Cool. Thank you for thinking I'm cool.
1: Sometimes. Sometimes you are.
0: So, uh, their, their legacy, uh, both of their continued presence and just the radical reformation that, that gave rise to them, uh, they gave us things like voluntary church membership, a freedom of religion, the separation of church and state, uh, incredible handicrafts and furniture, and. Yeah. Uh, some even count, uh, them as a forerunner of anarchist thought in Europe.
1: Hmm, interesting. Tear down
0: the structure, we'll worship as we choose. Not exactly no gods, no masters, because there very clearly is a god. Yeah. (laughs) But, no popes, no masters, I guess?
1: Yeah, I can go with that. (laughs) How about that? No popes.
0: Uh, so, darling, what have you learned?
1: A lot. I, I didn't know really anything about the formation. Mm Mm-hmm. Of Mennonites or Amish or Hutterites. Like I I knew they were all Anabaptists.
0: Right. I Whatever knew it that started
1: means. overseas. They eventually came here. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know all that stuff about how it happened. Right. Which was interesting. I know a lot about like present day Amish and Mennonites. Not not that much about Hutterites other than the I TV mean, show.
0: The the furniture business does take you into contact.
1: <laughs> yeah, yes. My family was involved in the furniture business. Including a lot of Amish furniture makers. That branch of the Amish, they do allow fax machines (laughs) and phones, but only in their workplace. Right. No computers. They are the people that keep fax machines in business right now, (laughs) and the people who have to send them things, like my mom.
0: (laughs) This line between what's acceptable technology and what's against the rules from the outside, it seems so inconsistent and fuzzy and jagged, but if you look at where the, the inspiration for them comes from, it, it's so much clearer. Yeah. The purpose of the rules. It, so fax machines makes perfect sense.
1: Yeah, you, you, they need the way they communicate for their business that they keep going That's like a community business, really. There you go. I am interested in, like, researching more of that, like, community stuff you talked about, like, the the Mm -hmm. 20 communities
0: and the branches. The the 31 flavors.
1: Yes. Yes. Because it's so vast, Mm -hmm. the way they operate. And also, like, as we talked about, like, drawing those lines. Where do you draw it? When do you consider it a different community? When do you consider it this or that? And they are just so, like, different. Automatically, people think, like... Mennonite is just like the Amish, except a little less strict, but Mennonites can dress just like the Amish. They can dress in everyday clothing, Mm -hmm. they can look any way possible. It's not that, like, kind of distinct. Even the Amish, like, they dress differently as well, and that
0: Mm -hmm.
1: is usually a sign of, like, how their community behaves.
0: Right. Uh, one thing I thought was interesting, just the effect that isolation has on the longevity of a group or an ideology. If you want your way of life to continue throughout history, no matter what changes, and everything is always changing. Yeah. Uh, despite everything remaining the same. Uh, (laughs) But if, if you want to maintain your way of life, you have to be isolated and you have to be strict. Because you don't know where the next change is coming. Just like many, uh, Amish sects don't exist because they just became Mennonites, there are also many, uh, Mennonite groups who don't exist anymore because they just became Lutherans or other, uh, Protestants.
1: Baptist. I think mm-hmm. becoming just straight up like Baptist.
0: Dropping is... the Anna. Yeah. Sticking with Elsa.
1: Yes. <laughs> I think, I think that's a common uh, transition, yeah, though, yeah. is to becoming, like, a conservative Baptist. Gotta say, going to northern Michigan, we used to always stop by this one Amish stand, and they made the best oatmeal cookies ever, and I miss them every day. Because <laughs> one year, they just stopped selling them in the roadside stand.
0: How dare they? How dare they? We bought they? them for,
1: like, eight years in a row, and then they just weren't there anymore.
0: So, uh... I think we should go grieve the bait goods, and we'll be right back with our viewer mail and other business. So, we've got some listener mail. Yeah. Yeah, we do. Uh, Where can people send these mails if they want to have them read?
1: They can send them to History Honey's podcast at gmail.com.
0: That's right. Gotta Uh, get
1: the podcast in there. It won't come to us.
0: (laughs) Now, uh, I do try to be really strict about only accepting email submissions to be read because that makes them so much easier to track. Uh, We love hearing from you on Twitter. We love uh, when people post on our Facebook wall, but it just scrolls so much. So just for organizational purposes, if you want it read, please send to the email address. Yeah.
1: Cause two weeks later, we won't be able to find that.
0: <laughs> Thank you so, so much for understanding.
1: Well, it's kind of a weird listener mail session because yeah. we never gave a prompt.
0: I was having the, the darndest time thinking of what it would be. Like, do people have a favorite religious schism? D- do people have a favorite 1500s German? I, do I don't know.
1: Mean, what do you talk about with I that? Mean,
0: if you have got one, feel free to, like, catch up with us. Just like Jamie is catching up. Uh, Returning writer Jamie wants to talk about his favorite ad, the Mac Tonight McDonald's campaign, which is truly a a ridiculous mark in uh, the the history of fast food ads. Uh, But there are some interesting wrinkles in this tale. The legal trouble over the song song and how legally distinct was it from Mac the Knife? Also that the character was played by Doug Jones, one of my favorite physical actors.
1: Oh, Doug Jones.
0: Billy from uh Hocus Pocus.
1: Yeah. And th-
0: this is this is pre-Billy. This is very early Doug Jones. Yes. Oh, oh, there's a PS. You love those.
1: Uh, oh, yes. Jamie asked if we will ever feature guests. And the answer to that is yes. We've already been talking uh to a future a possible future guest. Who is working on, um, some possible material for mm-hmm. an episode and hopefully we will get them on here soon. We
0: will slot him in the schedule as soon as he's done with his outline.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah. So that, that is definitely something we've talked about and will be happening eventually.
0: So yes, thank you for writing, Jamie. Uh, we also got one from Lauren who, uh, you can listen to every Sunday on the Sunday School Dropouts Podcast. It is one of my personal favorites ever since I discovered it a little while back. I'm so excited to get this letter. It's uh, uh, Senpai Noticed Me. But uh, she's working her way through the backlog and uh, knew she would really enjoy the show. Uh, when we talked about the story of Alexis St. Martin, just shortly after she was uh, gushing to a friend over the concept of fistulas and uh, a Radiolab episode all about gut stuff. They, they start with... Uh, again, talking about Beaumont and Saint Martin, but also a man whose guts were put into a medically induced coma and how his life changed and uh the the ways your flora impact your brain uh yeah, I definitely recommend people look up this Radiolab episode with one caveat: they say Mackinac, and that cannot be forgiven
1: uh, 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 uh. That ain't how you say it.
0: So, yes, I definitely, definitely encourage people check out Sunday School Dropouts. Uh, Lauren and her partner, Nico, read a book of the Bible every week and talk about it like a book club, but with swearing and weird jokes. So that's...
1: What's not to like?
0: Exactly! It's the perfect podcast. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you so much for writing.
1: We got uh, an email from Simon. Since there was not... A prompt this week, Uh, Simon sent in an episode request, uh, which we are not going to tell you what it is in case we decide we want to use it. So thanks, Simon, for sending in that request. Yeah. uh,
0: In the suggestion, Simon says that it it probably checks a lot of the boxes of what you're both interested in, and uh, he's totally right on my account. James gave us a letter saying happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to you! What else did James say?
1: Uh, James also gave us not one, but two episode suggestions. And
0: practically wrote them. This is a long email, yeah. James. Yeah!
1: Don't, don't sue us for like stealing your words, I guess? Cause you pretty much <laughs> wrote it out for us. Um, which is awesome though. Thank you for all that awesome information.
0: So thank you, James. T-G-Y-R. Tiger? Tigger?
1: T-G-Y-R. I don't
0: know. Don't do that again. No. <laughs> uh,
1: it, I You don't see, know. the
0: most wonderful thing about Tig years is now there's two of them. But they start with a, a happy birthday wish. To Aww. you. Aww. But I'd like to thank everyone who uh, gave me the gift I asked for, my one item wish list. We did see a bit of a jump in iTunes reviews. Ooh. Yeah. So thank you to to everyone who uh, made my my wishes come true. But also, thank you for this letter uh, that has a question about if we're going to touch on a specific bit of American history. Once again, because this is sort of a suggestion, we're not going to say what it is, except that it's good, and the answer is yes. So if you remember what you wrote, (laughs) yes, it is on the to-do list. But uh, thank you for the kind words, Tigir. Thank you very much. Uh, So that's listener mail. Uh You're taking over for episode eight. Yep. What's the prompt? We have to have a prompt or else Purin won't write.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. He did. We did get like. We got a tweet. We got a tweet.
0: But not being Like, hey, guys,
1: where's the prompt? I got to send you my email. (laughs) I saw it. I thought of you. Tried to come up with a prompt. We did not have one. So our prompt for our next episode is what's your favorite amusement park ride or attraction? Mm-hmm. You can tell us why if you've got any history about it. You can tell us that too, but that's what it is. Pretty simple. <laughs> Straightforward.
0: We do love hearing from you. And again, that uh, address is history honeys at gmail.com. Yep. And if you just want to chat or check out what we're up to, we are on Facebook, we have a uh at History Honeys. We are on Twitter at History Honeys. And uh every once in a while we find something that uh appeals to us and therefore we think to you the listener. Uh we had a video we shared on there a while ago about uh board game design in American history, about why dice fell out of favor because of our Puritan heritage. And the tie between polio and Candyland and stuff like that.
1: Or like last weekend when we took a nice walk mm-hmm. and uh, found the northernmost point that the Chicago Fire spread and took a- showed you a picture of the monument.
0: So stuff like that. And it's yet another way for uh, you to chat with us. So while you're online getting all connected... The best thing you can do to help us is, even if it's not our birthday, uh, give us a rating and review on iTunes and whatever podcatcher you use. It helps us so, so much, and I read every single one. I love them dearly.
1: And the other best, most wonderful thing you can do mm-hmm. is tell a friend. Sure, share our show with them. Let them know, like, hey, think this is cool? You might like it too. Mm-hmm.
0: Between word of mouth and algorithms, we are going to find our people.
1: Yes. So please share, let people know about us. It really helps, and we'd love to
0: connect with more people about uh what we enjoy, what we're passionate about.
1: Lots of morbid stories.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> My next one won't be morbid. What?
0: Mine will be. <laughs>
1: I'll probably find something, let's I'm be sure, honest. Sure. There's going to be a dead person or a lot of dead people. I will find them. Uh, Where I go, I find them.
0: That's just the concept of murder she wrote. That's what you are. Murder she podcasted. and I'm- That would
1: be a good name for a podcast. Murder she podcasted. Someone use that. Actually, maybe don't. Maybe I'll want to use it. I
0: don't know. While we're just throwing gold away, we're going to have to (laughs) cut ourselves off before it gets too bad. And uh, just remind you that I'm Grant.
1: And I'm Elena. And
0: history's better with your honey. honey.